Howell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let us get started. As we talked about briefly yesterday, the, the dominant story in sports over the course of the last couple of days, and actually uh, across a, a mainstream as well, has been what happened to the player for the Buffalo Bills during the game against the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday night. If you weren't watching, you've probably heard what happened. It was actually, it appeared to be a relatively routine play. Buffalo Bills player, defensive back, is running up to make a tackle on a, a Cincinnati Bengals player, and there, there's contact, as, as often happens. Candidly, if you look at the type of contact that goes on on an everyday play, the contact to me didn't look like it was particularly extreme in any way, shape, or form. But apparently what happened is the contact where the impact occurred was at a precise location on the Buffalo Bill player's chest, where if you have a blow to the chest at just the right spot, at just the right moment, when like the heart is, is beating or is between beats and, and you have this happen, what you can do is you can go into cardiac arrest. This rarely happens with adults, although it does happen with uh, kids and, and young athletes from time to time. Matter of fact, the estimates are in any given year, this happens about 30 times. Normally, imagine a kid playing baseball, for example. You're, you're playing shortstop and the batter hits a line drive and the kid misses it and it hits them in the chest. Well, again, if it's right between heartbeats that you can have, again, the, the heart can, can stop, essentially, because of that blow. It's a freak sort of accident, but it does, in fact, occur, and it, it, it's a risk. It happens less in adult players because your, your rib cage is more developed, your sternum is more developed. So what, what happened to the Buffalo Bills player is extremely rare, but it does, in fact, occur. So I'm sure everybody by now has seen what had happened in the aftermath of that. Everybody knew this was really, really serious once it happened. The, the game was stopped and ultimately postponed. He was taken off uh, the field uh, in an ambulance and is taken to a hospital in Cincinnati where he's been. Apparently, they've um, the, the, the news appears to be good, but he's still in, in a coma. And it, it's still touch and go, still in, in critical condition. And clearly, this is a traumatic sort of situation. There's no question about it. The NFL canceled the game on Monday night. That, of course, makes sense. The NFL has now said that that Buffalo-Cincinnati game is not going to be replayed this week. But they've left open the question of, you know, do they do they decide to try to find a, a date to replay it. Now, the problem is the season ends on Sunday. The regular season ends on Sunday. And after that, you've got the schedule to move into the, the playoffs. You do have a week between the final conference championship and the Super Bowl. So theoretically, you could push everything back a week, although the league does not seem inclined to do that. So that's where we stand right now. The question, though, becomes where do you go from here? Not for the Buffalo Bills Cincinnati game. My guess is that's never going to be replayed. But where do you go for games moving forward? There are a number of people 
who are suggesting that what should happen is the NFL should immediately suspend the rest of the season because of what happened to this particular player. And the argument is, well, first of all, you know, this is such a traumatic sort of thing. How can you expect football players to go out and and play moving forward? Even though, again, this is this sort of freak accident, but how can you expect members of the Buffalo Bills to play knowing that one of their teammates you know, suffered this sort of catastrophic injury? How can you expect the Cincinnati Bengal players to play? And how can you expect any other player in the National Football League to play knowing that when they go out on the field, this sort of thing could happen to them? Now, so far, the NFL really is not buying into any of this. We're going to cancel the games. The NFL, the, the season, at least their position right now is, the season will go on. They are making mental health counselors available to the extent that they weren't already to all the teams, presumably to give counseling to players who might want that counseling. But as far as calling off the games this weekend, as far as canceling the season um, in recognition of what happened, the NFL is having no part of it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's, a WTM. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Welcome to them as a new sponsor. All right, my question is, if you're Roger Goodell, what, what do you do? I mean, I'm looking at a story right now in the New York Times where they're quoting all sorts of psychologists who work with professional sports teams. They're saying, you know, it's just unreasonable to expect, you know, players to participate in a game like this knowing what has already happened and and not knowing how this is going to ultimately turn out. You, you can't expect them to participate. It's too much. And as a result, they're saying, oh, we should take take a pause, cancel the games for a while. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. For me, I think, I mean, clearly they did the right thing in suspending the game on Monday night. It would have been unreasonable to expect players to play. And I do not mean to be insensitive about this, but there are all sorts of risks that you know people take when they go to work. And we don't, for example, if somebody is an electric lineman and they, they fall out of their bucket truck and they get injured, you, you don't say, okay, well, we're, we're not going to go out and we're not going to maintain electrical systems. You know, you, you, you know, provide counseling and then you, you go on. And I guess that's my attitude with this. If you've got individual players who are so traumatized, and I'm not saying this in a smarty sort of way, that are so traumatized that they don't believe that they can you know, participate, well, okay, you, you handle that on a case-by-case basis. But as far as league-wide saying, okay, we're canceling the games, I just don't see it. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Where does the NFL go from here? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, the only time the NFL has ever canceled a weekend of games came the weekend after the terrorist attacks on September 11th. Um, Pete Rozelle, who was, you know, pro- he was Pete Rozelle, who was the commissioner of the NFL when the NFL really took off into, into popularity. Pete Rozelle always said that one of his greatest regrets was he made the decision that the weekend after President Kennedy was assassinated in November of 1963, he ordered the games to proceed. And so the, the players went ahead. They played games that weekend. In you know retrospect, um, Roselle always said he, he felt he had made a mistake by that. 
So they, they played games the weekend after President Kennedy was assassinated. So now you have this horrible situation that happens on Monday night. Nobody's downplaying that. But there's a lot of talking heads saying, okay, well, the NFL should cancel the games this week and maybe try to decide where you go in the future. My answer is no. You, you, we, we, you don't stop these things. Now, if there's individual players that need counseling or help because of the trauma, I'm not minimizing that. You provide them with that. But at the same time, I, I think the games go on, just like if you're – you know, in any sort of business, you know, you're in a you're in a situation, you're a police officer and one of your fellow officers is shot in a gun battle. There's an appropriate time for mourning, but you don't say, OK, well, we're, we're not going to have police officers out on the street the next day. Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. Let's start with uh, Debbie in Caledonia. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, yeah, like I said um, earlier, I was. You know, it's like I'm an equestrian, like uh, Mr. Reeves when he um, fell off a horse right. and um, Reeves, yeah. he was a paraplegic. You know, it didn't stop uh, horse events. It didn't stop actors from riding horses. It didn't stop any of that. Yes, there's certain people that are going to be affected. Yes, PTSD is a real thing, and those people will need help. Some players may not want to choose to play in NFL again, but that is their choice. I believe that the NFL is obviously big business, big money. And, again, like with the police officers or any other business, they're going to need to keep going on. And, again, it's tragic what happened to the gentleman, but, um, you know, hopefully yeah. makes it through. Things happen to people every day of their lives. You know, just because you get hit by a bus doesn't mean, you know, tomorrow yeah. somebody's not going to hit so it's, right. it's kind of the same thing. I agree with you, though, that yeah. the things should go on. Yeah, no, no thanks for calling. And, and that's not, nothing of what you and I are saying, Debbie, is intended to you know, minimize you know, the, the importance of, of what happened here and the significance of it. It's just simply saying that this was a, a freak accident. It's also not like um, this is a situation where you're able to say, oh, oh my gosh, is, is this something, is this likely to happen again in other games that you play Sunday? Is there some sort of you know, systematic failure or risk that there. This was a freak accident, period. I think everybody would say that. This is the first time I think this has happened in the NFL. Like I say, these sort of injuries, my understanding is, typically with, with younger athletes, um, it, it happens. Not doesn't happen a lot, but it happens on occasion. It's just a freak sort of thing. But you don't you don't say, okay, we're not going to move on. And to your point as well, th- this is a business. I mean, yeah, I understand football is a game, but it, it's also it's a business that is out there, and we don't shut businesses down just because there has been a traumatic event in them. Let's talk to Ron. Ron in Appleton, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. My concern is, what do our veterans at war do? They can't stop fighting just because something tragic happened right next to them, usually in the same foxhole. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's right. What, right. And, you know, and, and it's interesting you bring this perspective up, Ron. Um, you know, you, you wonder, you know, how people who have been in combat for a prolonged period of time, you know, people who exactly to your point have seen some of their comrades, you know, fall in the field of battle. You, you, you just don't say, OK, well, we're going to send everybody home. You know, we're not going to send you out on a patrol the next day. It's and I appreciate that this isn't combat. This is this is a, a football game, but it's still it's the job the, these players have. And if you've got an individual player who doesn't feel that they can cope with that, um, that that's one thing. But just to collectively say we're going to shut down, I just don't see it. 
Well, and, and one other point is this is not an unknown risk. Yeah. They know they can go out and get a season engine injury or whatever every play, and they take the risk, and they get paid very well for it. Yeah, right, exactly. It's the, it's, it's the risk that, that you take, just like the risk that somebody in law enforcement takes is that um, – you know, you, you, you might get in a gun battle with, with a suspect, just like the risk that, you know, people who climb up really high on telephone poles, that, that somebody might fall off. Jeff, I'm a former structural iron worker. We have a longstanding tradition of if a coworker is killed on the job, everyone would go home for the rest of the day. But the next day, everyone showed up and they went to work. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Jeff, uh, a player and union representative said this is why there should be no salary cap because NFL players put their lives on the line every time they take the field. Well, I mean, look, I don't I don't begrudge people the money they make in in these sports because I I appreciate that if you're in the NFL and you just watch, forget the catastrophic freak nature of this accident. You're putting your body on the line and, you know, you you look at a lot of these older NFL players and they're they're going to have problems later on. And that's just what happens when you have people who are running 15 or 20 miles an hour, full blast every play, banging into each other. I mean, there's no question there is a danger that's there, which raises, it's one of the reasons, candidly, why a lot of people uh, nowadays don't allow their kids to play football uh, because of those risks. But we're not at that stage now. And again, I'm not downplaying the significance of what happened. I don't want people to say, oh, you're just being callous. You don't care. No, it, it, it was a horrible sort of thing, but it, it life ends up going on. Now, if there's something that happened that you can look at, for example, and say, okay, maybe there's something we can do. Maybe there's a piece of protective equipment we can make the players wear that would minimize the risk of this happening. And I'm not a doctor. I don't know if any of that. I don't know if you wore a breastplate or something, whether that would, would have the effect of doing this or whether you just treat this as a one-off, which it certainly appears to be. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, good afternoon. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the guy, you know, the guy that was in the water and a stingray stung him in his heart. Was that, uh, yeah, was that, that Steve Irwin? Was that the crocodile hunter? That was Steve Irwin, right? Wasn't that that right. guy's yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. I mean, out, out, right, out of all those dangerous animals that he was bothered, bothered with, and nothing bothered him except the stingray. He was in the wrong time, in the wrong place, and the guy, the stingray just stung him in the heart. Yeah. That won't happen again in a thousand years. Yeah, it was a... Fr- <laughs> so I, I, don't, I think it, it was freaky, you know, I mean, um, who would have thought that? Yeah, exactly. No, th- thanks for calling. I, I get it. But right, it's it's one of these freak sort of situations. Hi, Jeff. I'm a dairy farmer. I've lost grandparents and in-laws, and we still had to milk the cows the next morning. In other words, the you know the the job goes on. And I, I guess I mean you know if you want to make it even more appropriate, let's say you're a dairy farmer and you've also got horses or or whatever, and you know a horse kicks somebody, and you know and you have a a, a guy that's tending the stalls who gets kicked and gets killed. You, there's going to be a moment of grieving, but you're right. You've got to be back. You've got to be um, again milking those cows. And I'm I'm not I'm not equating playing football with with you know some of the like being a law enforcement officer, being a combat soldier. I, I understand it's different, but at the same time, it is this kind of business that's out there. Um, Jeff, the NFL has paralyzed players from the 80s, and let's not forget about the basketball player, Hank Gathers, who collapsed and died playing basketball. We didn't stop. We grieve, 
and then we move on. Jeff, we don't shut down all the school systems across the country after school shootings. This is an unfortunate situation, but the NFL is a business. They need to play the games. The economy needs the fans, and ultimately the players need this. Jeff, I agree with you. There are school shootings, kids committing suicide, traffic accidents with teens, and we expect the kids to return to school. Counselors are made available, and they go on. As you said, police officers are shot and killed almost daily in our country, and other officers are expected to return to work everyone needs to show some resilience and strength and then move on um that's that's i I think the appropriate attitude to to take on something you know like this and again i I think if if i were the nfl i i would you know make counseling available to players if there are individual players who decide that well we we can't our, our the stress that we are suffering is so great that we don't think we can perform. Well, you take that on an individual basis, and that's something that I think that, that the teams handle. Otherwise, just like the police officers are expected to be back at work the next day, just like anybody who has lost someone on the site of an industrial accident is expected to be back at work the next day, I think the players are expected to be back next week. You do tributes. It is certainly a somber thing. Now, some of the reports, matter of fact, I have a text from a registered nurse who's saying that, you know, the, the news over the last 36 hours has been positive. And, and that's, you know, that that's great. You hope that you hope the young man comes through this and comes out of it. And, you know, whether he's ever able to play football again, is of course, a different story. But, you know, right now he's fighting for his life. And, you know, you, you hope for the very best. But at the same time, I think the games need to go on. Back with more. And, and my guess is they are going to go on as well. Almost almost unanimous agreement on this issue. A number of people are making the point about, you know, what about auto racing? You have that situation where, you know, Dale Earnhardt died. They continued the race in, in that particular case. You didn't say, okay, we're going to suspend auto racing. One of our texters said that he worked in the power industry, lost four of his coworkers over the years in industrial accidents. Um, they, they didn't, everybody was expected to come to work the next day. Now, our opinion's not always unanimous because, there's always we've got the jack wagons who always want to wade in from time to time. And the, the jack wagon on this topic says easy. He's talking about me. Easy for a guy to say who makes a living by sitting comfortably behind a radio microphone. Well, my guess would be if Lord forbid something happened to me right now, my, my guess is that all my coworkers would continue on doing their programs there would be you know tributes there would be a special especially grief but you know wtmj would not shut down for the next two weeks that's just the reality of what ends up happening and i think that's what's going to happen in this case but they would miss me right mike spaulding you'd miss me yeah we'd hold a few moments of silence absolutely all right exactly and maybe you know go across the way to the bar or something like that and you know have a drink or two that might work out yeah yeah i'd find my nearest dive bar because i know you have an affinity for them as do i and and raise a glass in your honor you're you're the man but wtmj would not go off the air that's just kind of the reality A lot of people with strong feelings about the NFL, and almost everybody agrees with my position, is that you you, you, you move on. And that doesn't mean that you don't grieve. also doesn't mean that you don't look at things and say, hey, is there something, is there a, even though this was clearly a freak accident, is there 
Is there a piece of equipment that you can, a protective equipment, a breastplate or something that you can have players wear if they choose to wear that might minimize the chance of this freak accident happening again? I think those are all fair comments. But the fact is that the the show goes on, the game goes on, the business goes on, and I think that's where the NFL is going to come down with. All right. The lead into this was ready, fire, aim. Tough love for Republicans. Now, I, I think, that I'll, and I, I'm going to open up the phone lines. I invite your reaction, but I'm going to give you my take on, on what's going on in Washington. It is an absolute, complete, and total embarrassment. The country is being held hostage by a small group of, in my opinion, fringe Republicans who are putting their own interest over the interest of the country. Here's the background if you have not been following this in detail. Republicans took control of the House of Representatives after the November election. Nancy Pelosi out as Speaker of the House. There's 222 Republicans. There's 212 Democrats. In order to elect the Speaker of the House, who controls the agenda, etc., etc., you need 218 votes. There has only been two occasions up until now when the Speaker of the House has not been chosen on the first ballot. One was in 1923, and one was during the Civil War. Okay, so those are the only two times this has happened. Because what has always happened is the party in power, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, before the first session of the new Congress, they get together in a closed caucus. And they decide who their leader is going to be. There there might be two or three names that are put in nomination. Okay, um, you know, Charlie, Jeff, Mike Spaulding. Those are the three names that are up there. And they have a vote. And then whoever wins that vote in the closed caucus, what has always happened in the past is when they come out, the Republicans or the Democrats unanimously vote for who is the consensus choice. Right. That, that's how it has always worked in the past. And just because I didn't vote for Charlie, for example, if Charlie got the most votes in the caucus when we come out. All right. On the floor of the House, I vote for Charlie. That's the way it has always worked up until the other up until yesterday. You have a handful of really far right. Basically, this is the election deniers. This is the fringe of the Republican Party, just like there's the fringe of the Democrat Party. There are a handful of these people who who don't like Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy's been in leadership for the longest period of time. And apparently when they had this vote behind closed doors, McCarthy, out of 222 votes, he got like 208 and there were about 14 votes uh, against him. What would normally happen is those 14 votes against him would swallow their swallow their opinions, come out, and they would vote for McCarthy in the interest of party unity and for the good of the country. Well, you have a handful of these people who, in general, are very much on the extreme. They're way, 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 way conservative, and some of them have just huge personal issues with McCarthy. So what they've decided to do is we're going to hijack the process. So they've said, okay, first of all, we want concessions, but they don't really know what they want. You know, they said, okay, we, we want this and we want that and we want the other thing. And McCarthy agreed to give them some of that stuff, but that hasn't been enough. So whenever you talk to any of this small 
handful of outliers. Well, what do you want? Well, you know, we they don't really know exactly it, what it is that they want. They have nominated people other than McCarthy, including people who don't want the, the jobs. I mean, that's that's it. They say, well, okay, we, we want to vote for so-and-so. Well, so-and-so says, I don't want to be the, this, this House Speaker. I don't I don't want that responsibility. It's a thankless job. I don't want to do it. But yet they, they vote for them anyways. What you have is the country essentially on hold while this all works out. Right now, they've just taken the fourth vote. This is the first one today. And just like before, McCarthy got 201 votes, 20 for another Republican candidate, and 212 for the Democrat candidate. The Democrats are all united. So there doesn't doesn't appear to be any sort of end game to this at all. Meanwhile, nothing can take place in the House of Representatives while you have a small fringe band who doesn't exactly know what they want other than their policy and is burn it down who is now stalling all this. And I would argue to you, I would argue to all their constituents that burn it down is not a, a philosophy, period. You know, burn it down is not the way you govern. Burn it down is not good for the country. And so we continue to drag this on. The result is that if McCarthy becomes a speaker, and he probably will at the end of the day, I don't know when it's going to be, don't know if it's going to be today, don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, don't know if it's going to be Friday, don't know if it's going to be two weeks from now. But now what's happened is a lot of the people who are voting for McCarthy, they've they've dug in their heels as well. And they're saying, look, you know, we got over 200 people out of 222 that want Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker. We're not going to be held hostage by this small number of people. Now, this is one of the problems, of course, that happens when – just like the Democrats have been dealing with this for the last two years, when they the Senate was 50 to 50, and any one individual senator could block legislation because you, you couldn't lose any of those. This is the same thing. The, the Republicans only have a four-vote majority. You know, they need they, – they lose any of those four votes, more than four votes, and they can't get to the 218 that they need to elect the Speaker. Meanwhile – the circus continues. The Republican Party looks bad. I think this handful of people who are staging what to me is is effectively a coup, I think they look ridiculous. And I guess my response would be, if I was Kevin McCarthy and I was the majority of these people in the Republican Party, I'd start freezing these folks out. Because at the same time, I cannot believe that anybody got elected to Congress to go there and sit and embarrass themselves and participate in this sort of foolishness. And there is no excuse, in my opinion, for what this handful of Republicans are doing. They make the entire Republican Party look bad. They make the system look bad. And to the extent they think they are doing something for their own self-aggrandizement, well, payback is a you-know-what. And my guess is there will be payback somewhere in the future. Hopefully it will start by these guys all getting challengers two years from now to run against them in their various districts. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Let's talk politics for a minute. What do you think about what's going on in Washington right now? We discuss in a moment. Jeff, is this a secret vote that they can do, or do we know who is holding out and maybe censor them or vote them out? No, you know exactly. It, it's not a secret vote. It is 
they are they are calling it's not not an electronic vote they are calling they call a roll call vote that's why it takes so long they they go representative by representative no you you know who the 16 or 18 or or 20 representatives are out of the 222 republicans and and in general it's the far right members of the freedom caucus some of the election deniers some of the like hardcore and i mean hardcore sort of fringe conservatives and see to me politics has always been about the the art of the possible it's getting stuff done if i were elected to go to congress i would want to get something done And, and i'm always this believer saying okay if i've got a bill for example, that 80% of the bill is what I want. I think it's really, really good stuff, and there's 20% of the bill that I don't like. I, I mean, I, I think at some point in time, but the 80% is the best you do. I'm one of those guys who believe, let's take the 80% and let's fight for that 20% down the road. There are other people, this burn-it-down crowd, who says we're not going to cooperate with anything. And unless we get everything we possibly want, we're not going to agree to anything. Well, okay, that's that's wonderful if you feel that way, but to me, all you're doing is being an obstructionist. And part of the problem with what happened in November is because the Republicans took over Congress, but because you have some of these hardcore folks who have no interest in cooperating with anything out there, now you have this gridlock. And you know, regardless of who they choose as the speaker, this is going to be a recurrent story. This is the story of the next two years, because all you need is three or four or five of these people to decide, well, we don't want to do this, or you know, we don't want to cooperate, we don't want tax reform, or we don't want criminal justice reform because there's nine there's nine hundred and ninety nine things we like in the bill, but we don't like this one other thing, so we're not going to vote for it. There. <laughs> you know, uh, okay. This is unfortunately the problem that the Republicans have and are going to have moving forward. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think? I, uh, I, I Well, I think McCarthy is probably going to get this eventually. I just think this is a kind of a show of force right now because of our last two speakers uh, really were a big disappointment. John Boehner, of course, crying. You know, when he wasn't crying, he was coddling up with the Democrats. And then, of course, you had Paul Ryan, who never got Obamacare uh, repeal and replacement, and he also never got all his big, bold ideas through that he spoke of. And, you know, Kevin McCarthy was kind of cut from that same piece of cloth. And, yeah, he warmed up with Trump, and that's good. Uh, and that's probably good for those guys who want to see a more conservative approach. But they, I don't think they really trust him enough, and they're just going through this show of force to get him to hold his, you know, to hold his feet to the fire. And so, I, so what's the end game, Sam? Work, work with me on this because what, what's the what is the end game? How how does this how how does this end? So you have these people who've dug in their heels, say we're we're not voting for him. What, what do they expect, that, that he's got to essentially bribe them? He's got to say, okay, I'm going to make you a committee chairman and you a committee chairman. What does that do to the other 200 people who've supported him from the beginning? Can you give in to these guys who are making these demands? I I, uh, I agree with you on that point you're making. At some point, it's got to end your 80% of a bill versus getting nothing. Yeah. I see a lot of what you're saying. I think, yeah, you're better off. I think they'll eventually come around. I just think there's a, been a big distrust factor with kevin mccarthy and with 30 plus trillion dollars in debt i just think these guys are coming in thinking you know enough is enough we got to stop all this spending 
We got to stop with the open borders. We yeah. want absolute decisions now, and this, we're not going to go back to our constituents and be making all these excuses why we couldn't get things done. And I think this is just a big show of force that they're doing to see if they can get McCarthy. I don't know exactly what all their demands are. Yeah, and, uh, well, they don't either. No, hey, Sam, I appreciate it. No, thanks, thanks for calling. Look, I, they don't know either. I, I've watched some of these clowns on Fox News, and they're, okay, well, all right, what, what exactly do you want? Well, humming, humming, humming. It's not even like, you know, you're, you're sitting at a ta- union bargaining table where they say, okay, these are four things that we want. It's just they keep moving the goalposts. This is just, and the reality is there's a handful of, of these guys who just flat don't like him on a personal level. I guess... Look, I, I think you got to go to get stuff done. And anybody who thinks that the Republican Party doesn't look like a bunch of clowns is just not paying attention. And I guess what frustrates me, and this is what Democrats have been saying over the last two years, it frustrates me that in this case, over 200 Republican representatives can be held hostage by a narrow minded group of, of people really who are you know, extremists that are out there who are holding, you know, everybody hostage on this particular situation. And I, 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 at some point in time, I think, again, what's happening here is these 200 plus people, they're getting angry about this, that this is, you know, going on and on and on. Jeff, you reap what you sow. Republicans bowed at the feet of crazy Donald Trump, who still denies that he lost the election. Now they have to deal with the crazies that he spawned. Should we have expected anything different? Well, Maybe you're you're right. Maybe it was too much to expect that, hey, we've got power, and this is our opportunity to start to use our influence. But in this case, they've decided to use their influence by forming a circular firing squad and then, as I say, yelling, you know, ready, fire, aim. Okay, so here's one of my texts. Good Lord. So you just follow in lockstep step with, the, with the rhino clowns. Got it. Never question the establishment. Just go along to get along. Let me stop there. Rhino clowns. So the idea is, at least if you were one of our texters, that these these twenty fringe players they're they're the heroes. Everybody else is the rhino clown. Okay, let let's let's look at the Wisconsin delegation. Just out of curiosity, there are six Republicans in the congressional delegation in Wisconsin. There is not a one of them that you would describe as a rhino. Bryce style. Glenn Grothman, for God's sake, Glenn Grothman has been called many things over the years. And I've known Glenn Grothman since we were, he was at Homestead High School. I was at Nicolet High School. We go back a long time. You can call Glenn Grothman a lot of stuff. Glenn Grothman ain't a rhino. <laughs> you know, you've got Fitzgerald, you know, the congressman who replaced uh, Sensenbrenner. You've got the new guy out of lacrosse. I mentioned style. You've got Mike Gallagher. You know, these are not rhinos. That this is, well, they're just going to follow the rhinos and stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that's destroying the Republican Party that came to power, you know, at least the Republican Party I'm familiar with, that came to power under Ronald Reagan, where you had that, that bigger tent. Now it's like, well, if you don't agree with everything we possibly say, you're nothing but a rhino, and we're not going to cooperate. Well, don't tell me that 201 or 202 or 204 of the Republicans who got elected to Congress, they're not true Republicans, and this handful of fringe players that is holding the country hostage, that they somehow have the, you know, the, the higher ground, because they don't. And I don't know, I honest to God don't know how this ends. My guess is I still think McCarthy ultimately at some point in time, you know, becomes the speaker. And I really don't care whether Kevin McCarthy is the speaker or not. I, I don't, I don't have 
you know, a, a horse in that particular race. Other than the Republican Party looks really bad. I want somebody who can build consensus, who wants the job and can get things done. And 200 plus Republican congressmen and women think that he is that guy. And the country is being held hostage by the fringe. And it needs to stop. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. During the break, I reached out to Republican Congressman Glenn Grothman, who <laughs> you, you can say many things about Glenn Grothman. I, I was kind of shocked when one of our texters seems to think that everybody who's not part of this this small group that's staging this this what I think is effectively a coup in the House of Representatives. Um, everybody, anybody that's not they're just nothing but rhinos. And I thought, huh, that's real interesting because I've heard Glenn Grothman called many things over the years, but I don't think it would, he would be a rhino. Anyhow, during the break, I reached out to him. He's he's on the floor and they're voting right now, but I think there is a good chance that he might be. Uh, I said, look. Uh, if you're available to give me like the the blow by blow description of what's going on right now on the floor in Washington and and what the end game that's what I'm really looking at what what is the what is the end game what do these people these these handful of republicans what are they trying to accomplish um what where does this go so i said look i'm on till three o'clock and if you get a chance um give, give me a call and we'll we'll talk about it on the air so if he calls in charlie we'll we'll stop what we're doing because i do want to talk to congressman Grothman. um it i'm not sure we're going to be able to make it work like i say he's right now on the ballot they're in the middle of they're on their fifth ballot for speaker and this one's not going anywhere either um Already, there have been seven Republicans who have voted for somebody other than Kevin McCarthy, and he can only lose four votes. That that's it. So he's already he he's not going to get to two hundred eighteen. So that's not going to that's not going to happen. You know, um, uh, Jeff, do they keep voting because Nancy Pelosi's Pelosi's clerk is in charge, and each vote makes Republicans look more stupid? No, that that's they they keep voting because. That that's right now the Republican strategy is to continue to vote and vote and vote. Um, and yes, it does make them look stupid. There's just no question about it. And it's not a good start for the next couple of years. All right. Let us switch gears. Um, we talked about this yesterday, and it's been a, a driving story for the last couple weeks. Southwest Airlines had a complete and total meltdown over the Christmas holidays. We all know what happened. You had this massive storm that swept across the country, created huge travel problems. All the airlines had to cancel flights, but at Southwest, it was it was a, a complete and total meltdown. Really two reasons behind this. First of all, most airlines use what they call the hub and spoke system. By that, the like you will have an airline like United, United, one of its hubs is is Chicago O'Hare. So what happens is you have planes that will fly different routes across the country, but they're all based out of O'Hare. So maybe the the flight will be, okay, you're going to Los Angeles, and then you're going up to Portland, and then you're going to Wichita, and then you're coming back to Chicago. But the goal is, ultimately, you all end up back in Chicago at one central place. Southwest does not do that. Southwest is one, I think it's the largest airline in the country that operates by this. It's, they call it the, the point by point system. Southwest Airlines, rather than coming back, running routes that come back to a hub, 
they all the planes are like independent contractors. They fly around the, the, the country. They, they don't come back to any central locations. And so what happens is when you have the, this major meltdown, the, the major storm, the planes get out of position. It's not like they're all working their way back to Chicago. You have a plane that's stuck in Fargo, North Dakota, that's now it's off its, its route. It was supposed to go down to Wichita. Now it can't go down to Wichita. So that Wichita flight gets canceled. How do you get that flight back on track? And then once you have the problems with, okay, what do you do with the flight crews and all that? The second problem that Southwest has is that they are using computer software from the 1990s. And the computer software had a complete and total meltdown. It just, they, they lost, it got so bad that if you read some of these stories, they apparently had people by hand trying to figure out where are the pilots, where is this plane that we last heard of that was in North Dakota, where are the pilots, where is the ground crew, where, where is the where's the flight crew, where are they supposed to be? It was just it was a combination of factors that started by bad weather but was made worse and worse and worse by an antiquated system that just completely was not able to, you know, do the job that it needed to do. So it took Southwest the better part of a week to kind of dig itself out. During that time, about 16,000 flights, 16,000 flights were, were canceled, 16,000 flights. And baggage from people who checked their baggage on the flights where flights were canceled, that's that's still all over the country. I mean, you're hearing stories about, you know, people that, you know, they were able to, to get to where they were going because they rented a car. They have no idea where their bags are. And there, there's still lots and lots, thousands of people who haven't been reconnected with their, their bags. And Southwest is struggling to figure out where the, these bags might be. It is a complete and a total debacle. Southwest has said that they're going to issue refunds for the flights that were canceled. Okay, that makes sense to me. They said that they are going to reimburse people for expenses. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. It's going to be kind of like a case-by-case basis. Maybe if you had a rental car to get home, we'll we'll pay your rental car fees. If you had to stay overnight in a hotel for a couple extra days because you couldn't get out of Las Vegas, we'll pay your hotel fees. I I don't know exactly what they're going to do. They're inviting people to submit, you know, their their expenses for reimbursement, and I think then they'll try to determine – you know, what, what are we going to pay for and what aren't we going to be pay for? If you get stuck in Las Vegas and you decide that you were going to have big-time steak dinners at Gallagher's at New York, New York, or um, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, are they going to pay for that? Is there going to be a limit? Uh, th- those things are kind of up in the air. So Southwest is back to normal. This is what they've said. We'll issue refunds and we'll, we'll reimburse for expenses. Southwest also said we're going to do one other thing for people who were affected by this meltdown. We're going to give you 25,000 bonus frequent flyer miles in addition to the other stuff. And they said you can add this to your frequent flyer account. Now, you have to go onto their website and do it. The story I'm looking at, the Wall Street Journal, said that you know when people tried to do it yesterday, they were told their estimated wait time is one, hours and, one hour and five minutes um, because everybody's trying to do this. 25,000 frequent flyer miles, you know, is, is a good chunk of, of miles. And depending on where you want to go and when you want to go there, it, it might get you a free one-way ticket, maybe. I mean, again, it's, you know, the, the cost is all based on if you want to go to Fort Lauderdale 
um, or you want to go to Orlando over spring break, 25,000 miles isn't going to get you there one way, much less get you back. But, you know, in the middle of February, if you want to fly to uh, Wichita, I don't know if Southwest flies there, but you get the point. You know, maybe 25,000 miles might be able to get you there and back. So the, the mileage, it's all based on, you know, how much the fare costs at a particular time. But still, 25,000 miles is 25,000 miles. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. Is that going to do it? Is offering? Don't go. Oh, I'm sorry. Nope. I fooled you. Is Is that going to do it? Is that going to be enough to get people to say, okay, all is forgiven. I'm going to fly southwest again. I'm going to forgive them. Now, I bring this up because I was at a restaurant last night, and the lady who owns the restaurant got caught in the meltdown. She was supposed to travel to Florida over the Christmas holidays. Long story short, she got out by driving to Madison, but none of the other people in her group could get out. It just, luggage is still somewhere across the country, and her response is, I'm going back to Delta. I'm never flying Southwest again. Is 25,000 free frequent flyer miles going to be enough, or... In the words of one of the people who's talking about this in the Wall Street Journal, um, gee, um, 25,000 Southwest frequent flyer miles doesn't hold much appeal because I really don't ever fly them again. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Jeff, I own a car service. Southwest has been a train wreck ever since the pandemic started. They chose to give people early retirements and still took the government money. I have two rules right now. Avoid connections and avoid Southwest at all costs. You know, and, and I guess, again, this is our, our own experiences. Um, I, I fly Southwest. I fly Southwest a lot. I fly out of Milwaukee, and the two places that I go to mostly are um, Fort Myers, and I, I go to Vegas, and they, they have direct flights. Bags fly free if you're taking bags. So I, I, I've been happy with them. I didn't get caught up in this, but if I did get caught up in it, I'm not sure that 25,000 frequent flyer miles would be enough to make me happy. Jane in Muskego. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I don't know if you want to... Um if this is tied directly, but um, my sister, who's she lives in Minneapolis, went out to L.A. to visit her daughter for Christmas, and uh, she was supposed to fly in last night to Minneapolis. Well, she has, and the key, and I heard you with uh, somebody who must have texted you about um, no connecting flights, and that's true. She had a connecting flight in Denver. She's still there. Um, she's, they told her she's, they've got her scheduled to fly out tomorrow afternoon, which is what, Thursday? Mm-hmm. Um, so she should get to Minneapolis Thursday evening. And she's on a couple standby flights right now. And, um, she's 72 years old. She's diabetic. Her, she won't get home for probably 48 hours after her scheduled time. And when she asked about getting a hotel room, they said because of the weather, it's an act of God. So no. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, right. An, an act of, right. An act of God is you, you've got the blizzard and the planes can't fly or, yeah. or get in. But the blizzard ended a week right. and a half ago. Wow. Um, so I suspect. Oh she's, no no no. Yeah. Min- <laughs> Min- Minneapolis got hit really bad last night. They got twenty to twenty-four inches. Okay. So she's and, still stuck, yeah. Well, they couldn't get, 
Yeah, but she. But that was last night. But they're so backed up. She said there were so many people trying to get to Minneapolis, and she's. It's crazy. Yeah. No. It's, it is insane. Yeah. No, no. Thanks for calling. And of course, and it's it's made worse again by the fact that Southwest has airline. Again, it's this point to point system where th- there. are all scattered across the country. Now, one of our texters says, well, Southwest, while they don't technically have hubs, they do have places where they stage their connecting flights, so more flights go through certain cities. But that's different than having the planes all returning under the the hub thing. But, well, I mean, I'm just saying that the way they operate is different than the way the other airlines operate, the other major airlines, and it, it clearly leaves them vulnerable to things like this. Let's talk to Rosie in Illinois. Hi, Rosie. You're on WTMJ. Hi. I am, I'm sorry for the lady that was just speaking. I feel sorry. I would not want to be in that position. And I hope that her sister or friend or whoever it is gets home safely and is okay because that's not a good situation to be in when you're diabetic and you're by yourself right. and all that kind of stuff. But um, I have to – I don't – I just turned you on, and I, I have to tell you, I'm sorry. I don't know what other callers have said. But I think everybody should take a lesson to learn how to fly from Southwest. We only fly about three or four times a year. Uh, we go to uh, Colorado. We've gone to Florida. We go to uh, Georgia and South Carolina, pretty much, and, um, and, and New England, too. And I, I tell you, let, let me give you an example. When you board, when you're going to board Southwest, you have a ticket. Mm-hmm. And they have poles with numbers on mm-hmm. the poles. And Group B has um, mm-hmm. 1 to 30 and uh, 31 to 60. And you have a ticket number on your ticket. And you know that when you're in B, Group B, you, it's not a cattle call like it was when we went to Flew American this past Christmas down to Texas. We flew American because it was convenient and time-wise. And I tell you, there was a cattle call. They said Group B is now boarding. Seventy people pushed, shoved. You know, and you're you're trying to stay with your group, mm-hmm. but everybody. I I don't get into cattle calls. I'm sorry. You get two bags free when yep. you check your bags. I don't know anybody else that does that, and I think everybody should copy Southwest United. I have flown in the past. It's a cattle call to get on the airplane. Well, Rosie, thank you. Really, I appreciate it. I'm sorry. I get, I get it. Thanks. And I, I look. I think there's a lot that has goes to Southwest. And I, for me, I like the direct flights, and, and so. That, that is appeal number one. Most of the places I go, if I were to fly, if I were to fly something other than Southwest, I would have to change planes somewhere. I don't like to do that. Um, I haven't had problems with Southwest. I love the f- two bags fly free. I wasn't caught up in the, uh, the, the mess. And as a matter of fact, my, my next trip, next time I'm jumping on a jet to Florida, I, I'm on, I'm booked on Southwest and I don't intend to, to change that. I'm just saying that what happened it, it what happened was a complete and total debacle. It was worse at Southwest than at any other airline. And you're still hearing the stories about there's still people that aren't reunited with their bags or anything like that. So the, the question becomes, how many chances are people going to get? Now, do I think this is going to bring Southwest down? No, I, I, I don't. Do I think 25,000 frequent flyer miles, which has a, the value, it's approximately 300 bucks, but it, it depends on how you use the miles, like I was saying, and, and where you want to go. I, I doubt that that's going to be enough to, to mollify the people who really felt that they got screwed over badly by what happened at Southwest. I, I will say this. So you, what you need to do, it's, it's not 
it's not, to me, 25,000 frequent flyer miles. What they need to do is they need to come out and say, okay, this is what we are going to do moving forward to make certain that this does not happen again. And if it means we're going to um, we're we're going to do we're going to spend however many millions of dollars it takes to upgrade our computer systems so they're capable of dealing with a catastrophe like this. Fine. If it means we're going to change our routing system so we don't use the point by point flight system anymore, that we'll, we'll do that. But that's what I think people need to hear from Southwest. Not just we're going to give you twenty five thousand miles because. What 25,000 miles doesn't do you any good if the next time you're going to fly southwest and there's a big storm moving across the country and you have a bunch of flights that are canceled. I mean, southwest, this is, I think, it's it's a tipping point for them. I think they have a chance to retain at least some of the customers that missed out on that, that 16,000 canceled flights. Some of the customers they're going to lose forever because they've just written them off, and those people don't care about the 25,000 miles. The rest of the people might give them another chance and the people that weren't caught up in this might continue to fly southwest unless this happens to them. And that's why the priority at Southwest has got to be getting their house in order. What could possibly go wrong? We talked about this a couple months ago. And it's just, it is a really, really, in my opinion, bad idea that refuses to go away. And I, I want to I tee this up. I think, let me start off with this premise. I think We Energies does a pretty darn good job of keeping power on. I think that, you know, if you, if you think back to some of the big storms we've had over the years, the wind storms, the ice storms, I, I think We Energies, is, and I am not a stockholder in We Energies or anything like this. I just think, I think they are, are very responsive in dealing with situations where you have power outages. And I appreciate people have had power out, and there's nothing more frustrating than that. But I think they do a good job of preparing for things. I, I think We Energies does a good job of keeping power on, which to me, that, that's number one priority. If it, it's keep, you know, in the winter, let's keep the electricity on. Let's make sure the natural gas continues to flow, that sort of stuff. In the summer, same sort of thing, you know, when you have these storms. And you can point to things where I can't believe it took them three days to get the power back on in my particular neighborhood because all these trees came down. So I understand there's individual stories. But as a general rule, I think they do a good job. I appreciate that nobody likes likes to pay their utility bills. They, they They just don't. And just like everything else over the course of the last year or two has gone up, that the cost of, of utilities has gone up. What the, the last rate increase was, what, about 11% or, or something like that. Now, We Energy says that even with that rate increase, you know, what, what's happened is we're still around here, we're, we're below the cost of other comparable areas. But I get it. it, it nobody likes to pay these increased utility costs. The costs are going up. So, you know, people end up getting unhappy. One of the ideas that is being tossed around by a group of some of these real lefty groups, the Wisconsin Environmental Justice and Infrastructure Initiative, the Walnut Way Conservation Group, it, it goes on. Um, what they, their idea is, look, what we want to do is it's power to the people. We want to get rid of the evil we energies, and we want to take control, essentially, of the utilities ourselves. What could go wrong with this? So there is a push to put a non-binding referendum on uh, on the ballot coming up in April. 
asking, do you support the creation of a municipally managed, citizen-owned utility in Milwaukee, and would you like to see more competition among distributors and providers of electricity in Milwaukee? All right, so th- it, it's non-binding. All right, let's talk about what this would entail. There are, in Wisconsin, um, somewhere around, oh, what are the numbers? There's about like like 80, 80 different smaller, typically rural communities where there are municipally owned utilities. Most of these date back over 100 years when we were just starting to provide electricity to, to the state. And so you, you have the, the small city-owned, municipally-owned utilities that brought, you know, electric power to small cities and rural areas. You know, you had the, the bigger companies that were operating in the urban areas, but this was a way to get electrification to, you know, places outside of those urban areas, all right? So the way it would work is the city of Milwaukee. Let's say you went, went along with one of these initiatives. What the city of Milwaukee would do is it would have to buy all the power lines and the distribution equipment that gets power to people's homes, right? So you'd ha- they'd have the city would have to buy it. Then the city would have to take on the cost of staffing it. So the city would have to hire on its own all the different repair people, all the different call centers, all this huge infrastructure that you need to keep the power lines up. The city, the municipally owned power operator, operator, would then be able to negotiate prices. So the idea would be, okay, once you own the power lines and you own the distribution thing, what you can do is you can go around to some of these regional power providers and you can try to buy power from them and the thinking is maybe you could buy it at a cheaper rate because you're a nonprofit. Maybe you could buy it at a cheaper rate than you would um, if you were, you know, if it was just if, if it's We Energies that were providing it. So maybe if you're a nonprofit, you could get it a little bit of a cheaper rate. But again, the problem is, first of all, you, you've got to buy all the infrastructure. You've got to buy the power lines, and then you have to staff the power lines. So you have to have the city of Milwaukee that can't find driver people to drive snowplows they would have to create their own version of We Energies, in, including the call centers, the response centers, the people that would go out. They would have to recreate that company to provide, uh, again, um, power to whatever, that the, whether it's City of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County or whatever. Now, the Journal Sentinel has a story about this. Sometimes this idea gets floated around. In Oregon, um, you know, they tried to do something like this, Ultimately, um, it it just um, they, they were able to get it off the ground, but that was 50 years ago. More recently, they tried to do something in Boulder, Colorado. It, it failed after the city spent more than 20 million dollars to pursue this. We Energies is saying, look, here, here's the thing: we're part of this, this giant energy network, and when we understand that the people are frustrated with the bills, but as part of this giant national network. We have procurement capabilities. We have an army of experienced crews to aid in storm response. We have technical expertise, and that results in savings and reliability. So if the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County or wherever was going to do something like this, they would have to start from ground zero. Can you imagine how many millions of dollars it would take to buy up the infrastructure? 
And then secondly, can you imagine, I mean, seriously, can you imagine the city of Milwaukee being the ones that are responsible for, uh, again, the power outages and, oh, we've got storms and this. Would you really want that to be undertaken by a, a governmental entity? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I I, I get that nobody likes to pay high utility fees. I, I understand. I pay those same bills that, that everybody else does. But at the same time, that this idea of, here, we're going to essentially turn this into a municipal-run service, and we're going to buy the power lines, and we're going to staff it. Man, can you imagine? I mean, this is the same city that can't get its act together on, on lead in the pipes. This is the same city where you've got the streetlights that are out at a ridiculous amount. Do you really, when, when your power goes out in a blizzard, do you really want to depend on the city of Milwaukee? No offense to the hardworking people of the city of Milwaukee. Do you really want to depend on the municipal government, be the, the ones that are going to be out there trying to get your power on? And where are they, as a practical matter, going to get the people that are going to staff this? 855-616-1620. We discuss. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Our Milwaukee Mattress Heirloom Queen-Size Innerspring Mattress and Box Spring Set is everyday priced at $21.90. We want you to shop and compare because you'll find the same mattress quality at national brand retailers priced around four dollars to $5,000. Visit our store, shop and compare, and save over 50% on a top-quality Milwaukee mattress from Ken Michaels Furniture, where no middleman means no extra markup and real savings for you. Brookfield, Greenfield, or downtown Milwaukee. Higher quality national brand mattresses cost way too much. But a comparable quality Milwaukee mattress will cost you hundreds less because we make our own mattresses. Get the same quality for less made locally at Factory Direct Pricing. That will save you hundreds and get you a great night's sleep. Deal directly with the people who make it and shop Ken Michaels Furniture for your new Milwaukee mattress. Where no middleman needs no extra markup and real savings for you. In Brookfield, Greenfield, or downtown Milwaukee, KenMichaelsFurniture.com. Individual rates, coverage offerings, and savings may vary. Subject to terms and conditions. Not available in all areas. Actual pie customer. The other workers' comp insurance company, they were going to reclassify our business, and then they were going to charge me $50,000. Meet Natalie, owner of the carpentry shop. Shocked by an unexpected bill, she knew it was time to switch her workers' comp provider. That's when she found Pi Insurance. When we got the quote back from Pi, it was a sigh of relief. They put us in a policy where we fit. Is your small business overpaying for workers' comp insurance? See how much you could save at trypi.com. Plus, with pay-as-you-go billing, your premium is based on your actual payroll, which means no additional bill if your business grows. I'm grateful that there's a company out there that's willing to insure us little guys because every dollar counts. With Pi Insurance, you get pricing and coverage made for small businesses. What are you waiting for? Ask your agent for Pi or get a quote in three minutes at trypie.com. That's T-R-Y-P-I-E.com. If you're 50 or older or live with diabetes or heart disease, untreated COVID could be deadly. Got COVID symptoms? Talk to a doctor and get treated right away. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job? Not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters. Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. I am hungered in America. 
Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. God, I'm so stressed about my business not being ready for the holidays. Uma. What is that? Meditation? I'm recommending the Uma cloud phone system with auto attendant and more than 35 features. Uma? Yep. Switching to Uma is a cinch. Starts at $19.95 per month per user, plus taxes and fees. Uma. Now you're feeling it. Visit Uma.com. That's O-O-M-A dot com to learn more. Uma. Smart communications for the smarter business. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There you go. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, like, rural electric cooperatives, and there's, there's like 80 or so in Wisconsin, but most of them go back 100 years, where you had small rural communities at the time who wanted to they wanted to bring electricity to to their communities and and there weren't the big conglomerates there weren't the big companies like the we energies of the world or the alliance or whatever that were in that area so what the municipality did is they they put up their own poles they put up their own lines they, they started their own quasi little business and then they, they bought power from these regional suppliers okay and that worked a hundred years ago in rural areas what some people are suggesting some of these 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 are pretty far left groups it's power to the people we want to take back the, the power for the city of Milwaukee. We want to essentially say to We Energies, we don't want your electricity anymore. So what would that entail? The city of Milwaukee buying all the power poles, buying all the transmission lines, the city of Milwaukee then staffing these. So we're going to hire everybody that's going to service all the, these different lines and things like that, provide all the customer service, all the technical expertise, and then creating this utility, which would then go out on the independent market and, and try to buy power, hopefully at a rate maybe cheaper than we energies. I don't know if they could do that or not, but the problem is who's going to service all this stuff? You know, when, when you have the, the big windstorm that comes down and, and knocks down all these, these power lines and stuff, and you have thousands and thousands of people are out of power, We Energies has this entire infrastructure that is able to swoop in and is able to, you know, get the power on as quickly as possible. Do, do you really want to leave that to a new municipality, a municipal-run operation? I'm just telling you, this is, in my opinion, a disaster waiting to happen. Trevor and Gillette. Trevor, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thank Hi. you. Um, just calling to say an, another aspect, and, and I, I want to say definitely great highlighting the the infrastructure, the equipment, the tooling, the maintenance, uh, the operation, but as well the standards. Um, there there is a large set of standards that the Wisconsin Public Service Commission puts in place for utilities, and uh, they have to be withheld to, and that would definitely be a, a severe hurdle for for the city of Milwaukee to do with this utility as well. Yeah, and you wonder at, at the end of the day what the ultimate costs are because you might say, okay, l- let's say that they are able to buy power on the independent market and they're able to buy it at a slightly cheaper rate than We Energies does. Although We Energy says even with their 11% increase, it's still cheaper than the national average. But okay, let's say they're able to do it a little bit more cheaply. Where where are you going to get all the money to, to buy? I mean, I have no idea how many hundreds of millions or billions of dollars it would cost to, to set up an infrastructure to support a city of 600-plus thousand. I just, it, it would be astronomical, it would seem to me. And to your point, too, where are the people going to come from that are going to service this? Where where is that where is that going to come from? It's It just seems to me completely unrealistic. 
Absolutely. Absolutely agreed. No, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, and I, I understand this is all about power to the people, and let's stick it to the man, and we don't like these evil utility companies, and we think that they make too much money for their shareholders and things like that. that that's a different concern, and that's a different question than saying, okay, let's let's get rid of them, and we think we can do it better. Well, we think we can do it better is a recipe for, after the next windstorm, not having power in your building for uh, for two months. Jack in Caledonia. Jack, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? Good morning, Jeff, or afternoon. Oh, hello. The, uh, as, far as, as far as having the, uh, a municipality running a electric company as big as uh, We Energies, uh, one thing is they, they wouldn't have the capital, as you're saying, to start it up. But if you look at, they take care of security in Milwaukee. There are police department and look at the crime rate. Mm-hmm. You, you look at the, they, they run the water department and look at, you know, how often they have to dump, you know, <laughs> raw sewage into the, um, into the lake. They, they, they just don't have the, uh, the, the technology or the manpower or the, the wherewithal to run something, you know, that, that's so serious. I mean, can you imagine a storm goes through here and we don't, you know, in, in around this area, We'll lose power for maybe a day, yeah. you know, maybe two days at the most, at for the, most, the yeah. most part. At the most, I mean, yeah. it's you know, I mean, out of east, you know, you're out, you're out of you're out of power for three weeks at times, you know. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So for for them to say that, you know, the the city will now, you know, you know, will take care of it. It <laughs> run <laughs> run and run fast, you know. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Jack. Yeah, run and run fast. That, that, that's it. And it's it's seeing. I guess the reason I bring this up, other than the fact that it's just a, a stupid idea to begin with, it, it's the, you know, so you're going to have a referendum. Do you support the creation of municipally managed, citizen-owned utility in Milwaukee? Well, how many people they are going to enter, answer and vote on that have any idea what it entails? Yeah, the headline will be, oh, let's take this back. You got the evil and you got the evil electric company. Let's let's take away power. Oh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, be careful what you wish for. And then the other question, would you like to see more competition among distributors and providers of electricity in Milwaukee? What does that mean? I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, look, I'm, I'm a big believer. I'm, I'm in favor of competition. Okay. I'm, that's that guy. I would like to see more competition because I think in general, competition, you know, provides efficiency and things like that. But how do you decide that in the context of a referendum and big picture? And all these, all of you are texting me is raising the 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 correct thing about you know Jeff. Imagine the increased magnitude of the pension crisis if the city hired all the additional workers. Well, okay, these are the same people that that have given us the pension various pension crises. We're now going to put them in charge of keeping the the power on. And again, I don't I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm bashing on public employees. I, I'm not. I, I really, but this is it is incredibly stupid to think that we can somehow take, again, what has been an infrastructure that's been built up over the last, you know, 100 years or whatever that's operated by We Energies, and I think in general, while you might think you're paying a little bit more than you should, or maybe you think you're paying a lot more than you should, nevertheless, they do a good job of keeping the power on. They deal do a good job of responding to emergencies. This idea that we're going to suddenly be able to reinvent the wheel in 2023 and we're going to be able to save some money. Well, okay, maybe you save a little bit of money, assuming for the sake of argument that by going on the free market you could get it a little bit cheaper. Okay, but where where is the money going to come from to pay for the infrastructure, and what are you going to do for everybody out there that has ever called your alderman? 
angry as you know what because it was a week after a snowstorm and your alley hasn't been plowed? Can you imagine what it's going to be when it's a week after a snowstorm, it's 15 degrees below zero, and your power hasn't been on for a week? That's the scenario that people are looking at, and I I think hopefully cooler heads will prevail in City Hall. Hopefully this is a chance for both the mayor and the Common Council to stand up to some of the more lunatic fringe that's out there in the city, and in the words of Nancy Reagan, just say no. Back with more in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. There's so much snow. I gotta get to work. Hey, Wyatt, how did you get your driveway shoveled so fast? Easy, I just checked the WTMJ forecast when I woke up. That's right, Wisconsin. Before you hit your driveway, listen to severe weather coverage on WTMJ. Presented by Fleet Farm. Proudly serving the Midwest since 1955. Acunet Mortgage is an equal housing lender, NMLS ID 255368. This is Chief First-Time Homebuyer Helper Brian Wickert. Acunet Mortgage can now offer a 5.75% 30-year fixed rate with no points to Wisconsin first-time homebuyers who meet certain income limits. With 3% down and top-notch credit scores, the APR is as low as 5.95%. On a $200,000 loan, the monthly payment is about 150 bucks less per month. With our super special first-time homebuyer program, compared to standard mortgage rates. Household income limits in the four-county metro Milwaukee area are $127,000 for households of three or more people and $108,000 for one- and two-person households. So if you or someone you know is looking to buy their first home in 2023, let them know your friends at Accident Mortgage have a super special first-time homebuyer program, which, along with our rock-solid guaranteed pre-approval, make for a pretty powerful home-buying combo. You'll find our phone number and the blue button to get started at Accident.com. That's A-C-C-U-N-E-T dot com. You don't need special gadgets to be a hero. With unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere, the Capital One Quick Silver Card makes you the hero of every purchase. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Seriously injured? Call Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. You don't have to go through yet another year with that knee pain or back pain. People with chronic joint pain are getting real lasting relief from QC Kinetics. Hey, it's Greg Matzik with WTMJ. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in advanced regenerative medicine. Their unique protocols use healing agents from your own body to target aching joints, repairing and restoring damaged tissue. So you can move again with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. Got a shoulder pain? Excruciating hip pain? Well, if you have any arthritis pain or lingering pain from an injury, don't let them operate on you or give you more steroids. And say no to the pain pills. Call QC Kinetics and see if their life-changing all-natural treatments can get you living your best life in the new year. I'm telling you, people here are raving about these treatments. Hey, this is the future of joint pain, and appointments are available as soon as the next week. Make 2023 the year you say goodbye to joint pain. 414-285-3474. That's 414-285-3474. 414-285-3474. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, number of texters are getting it. Yeah, the same people that gave you the, the dumping of sewage into Lake Michigan or the Milwaukee public school system that... It, some of those people want to give you the your your own power company. I think not. Now, I, I'm getting a number of texts, or at least a handful of texts from people who are saying, well, Jeff, we're with you. We think this is a, a really dumb idea. 
and there's no way that this would work. But at the same time, you know, we, we have this issue with We Energies or that issue with We Energies. We, we think that the, the profits are too high, that their, their rates, which are, by the way, regulated by the Public Service Commission, you know, that's the way it works. They go to the Public Service Commission and ask for permission to raise their rates, and the Public Service Commission does. I mean, so they, they are regulated in that fashion. So some people are saying, well, we think their, their rates are, are too high, and that's – I understand. That is a legitimate concern. Now, I'm not on the Public Service Commission, although I do have a friend who is, but that that's – that's a legitimate consideration, I think, and you can argue, should they be more efficient? You know, what what is their return on investment? Is that too great? I also have a couple texts from people who are saying, you know, over the last couple of years, we think the service from We Energies in our particular case or this particular case has not been as good as it was in the past. That's that's all, all fair, and I don't take any position on, on any of that. My only point is... You know, you can have an individual beef with we energies with, well, they didn't get my power on quick enough or I've had this issue or that issue or I think the price is too high or whatever. You, you can have that issue and that can be a fair and legitimate issue, but you don't say we're going to, what's the cliche, throw out the baby with the bathwater. You don't say, okay, because we've got this issue or that issue, we're going to just, we're going to buy up all the power poles, we're going to buy up all the transmission lines, and we're going to try to duplicate what We Energies does by hiring all sorts of other employees, and, and that's how we're going to respond to it. That, and that's my only point, it's a recipe for disaster. If you want to work on trying to pressure We Energies to become more responsive or you know, to deal with your particular beef or to you know, charge less for the, the gas that they're providing, electricity they're providing, that, that's okay. That's a discussion you have. But to do it under the auspices of we're going to, I think for the first time in like 100 years in Wisconsin, we're going to try to create our own municipal utility. <sighs> Give me strength. I'm Jim Cantrell with Financial Strategies. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We have reached out to Congressman Glenn Grothman to ask kind of what's going on in Washington and um our, our hotline number changed, so I had to, I gave him the wrong number. So hopefully, just tried to correct that, gave him the better number. Um, but if we're able to reach him, he's still on the floor. The fifth vote um, ha- has just ended. Two hundred and twelve votes for the Democrat representative. So everything has um, everything stayed in place. Uh, Two hundred and one votes for Representative McCarthy. Twenty votes for somebody else. Uh, so again, it's uh, who knows what the end game is. And so, if we can get Congressman Grothman on the line, we'll uh, we'll talk to him about that. We start off this segment, though. I call it "Go Woke, Go Broke," and I have a. It's sort of an open-ended question. Last year, you had a number of different entities that decided in in, in Hollywood. There were a number of different movies. For example, um, and other media projects that decided we're going to go after kind of the the left here. We're we're going to you know practice our our wokeness. Disney um, had its first animated film with an openly LGBT character in this movie, Strange World. And, and I, matter of fact, I had a couple friends who took a bunch of kids over Christmas to see Strange World, and and they walked out just just shaking their their head 
at all the politically correct stuff that was thrown into this this movie. Um, the film had a it cost about one hundred and eighty million dollars to make it. It took in twenty four million dollars when it opened. It was a it was a huge bust. Um, Pixar came out with the latest in the Toy Story franchise called Lightyear. And again, um, one of the things that got a lot of attention was that this was the first Disney same-sex kiss, which was, again, in this family-friendly series. Um, You had a movie that came out called Bros, and, and this was, again, focused on LGBT characters, and it was a complete and total bomb. Bros, despite getting all this attention and, oh, this is going to be the first, like, um, gay rom-com, it, it, it grossed $14.8 million worldwide. New York Times suggested that the problem was, was homophobia, and this is the reason a gay romantic comedy was unsuccessful. You had a movie um, called Amsterdam, overtly political themes. You had a character, Robert De Niro's character, giving a thinly veiled speech telling off Trump. Um, Amsterdam, a huge bomb. So all these different shows, it only made six million bucks. I mean, only not made, it, it only brought in six million bucks at, at the box office. The list goes on and on. But you have Hollywood that has gone for the, this woke sort of thing. Here, we're going to we're going to make the animated movie and we're going to appeal to all the politically correct people. And and folks are responding by by not going to the theaters. Again, you you can brush this off. Oh, people are homophobic or, or whatever. I actually think the, the reason is a lot more complex than that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here is my question. Why is it that these these woke movies, and there's other media projects as well, but this effort to go to wokeness, when it's presented to the mass market, it turns out to be a bomb. It's just not succeeding. Why is that? Is it because, oh, people are just homophobic? Or is it maybe a lot more complicated than that, namely that maybe people just want to go and be entertained and don't necessarily want to have this thrown down their um, down you know down their throats? Back to discuss in just a moment. I also think we're going to be able to hook up with Congressman Glenn Grothman. So don't go anywhere. Back after a short break. Welcome back. We are now joined on the line by Congressman Glenn Grothman. Congressman, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Glad to be on the show. We're live from the cloakroom in Washington, D.C. So, uh, Okay, Glenn, let me just ask you a question. I, what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, it surprised me. I didn't see this coming. I knew there were some people going to vote against Kevin, but I never dreamed we'd have 20 people voting against him and one voting present so that he'd lose 21 votes uh, through the first four or five series of votes. Um, the, the interesting thing is that they will publicly say it's not about Kevin personally. They just want him to agree to something, presumably something that lessens his power and raises the power of everybody else. But they can't articulate exactly what that is. You would assume, given we knew this day was coming for months, that they would at least be able to articulate what it would take to get their vote but they are not able to do that. But what is um, I am the... told? Okay, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I am told by people close to them, or they themselves, that of the 21 people who are not voting for Kevin, you can divide them into two groups. 
One group is a group that genuinely does not like Kevin. They won't say it publicly. They just don't like him. And the other much larger group believes we have to change the rules that Congress operates under, and then they would vote for Kevin. Though they haven't been able to articulate exactly how we should change the rules. Congressman, what is the end game? I mean, it's now been five ballots. There looks like they're going to start a sixth one relatively soon. I mean, what? How, how does how does this end, and when does it end? It's a really good question. Uh, I would have thought by now some people would peel off and say we made their point, but I am told by somebody who's been in the room with the other twenty people that they're actually digging in harder, that we had a meeting yesterday, that some things have been said, that people are taking personal or whatever. And actually, the uh, the 21 who aren't voting for Kevin are becoming less, maybe we can cut a deal to more, I'm not going to vote for Kevin at all. Which would kind of be surprising, because Kevin's been the minority leader here for four years. He's run two campaign cycles, both of which we gained seats. I mean, I I have been critical as far as how those campaigns have been run. And I do think the Republicans should have used issues other than just economic issues. But uh, like it or not, he was here when we got the majority. He's been in charge for four years. And it's therefore kind of surprising that he wouldn't get the traditional reward for winning the majority, which is being the speaker. And I, I would also point out they really don't have an alternative. You will recall that when John Boehner stepped down and Paul Ryan became speaker, he didn't want to become a speaker. They had to spend about three weeks begging him to be speaker. It's a very time-consuming job. You're running around the country, raising money, recruiting candidates. Most people would not want to be speaker if it was given to them. So uh, there's really not an obvious fallback position either. But, Congressman, you are... You are one of the 201 people, and you are anything but like a rhino. I, I'm getting some text from people. Oh, it, it, it's it's rhinos walking lockstep in support of McCarthy. You you are anything but that. You are one of the 201 people no. who support it. No, I, I, right, I, I've been very critical about the Republican Party in this last race. I, I think they focused too much on inflation and should have talked about more of the, say, freedom-oriented issues. Uh there are, I've talked to two people that uh, were ready to vote against Kevin. Kevin gave them all they wanted, uh, and they feel that, you know, when they began to negotiate with Kevin four, four months ago, knowing this day would come, Kevin basically gave them all they wanted. They can't think of a reason to vote against Kevin. Mm-hmm. I talked about another conservative who would be one of the first people you'd say would vote no, one of the people who voted no the first days of her period of years here. He said he'd vote against Kevin if he could think of a reason. He can't think of a reason. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and like I said, if when the reporters are able to grab one of these 20 people and say, what would it take for you to vote for Kevin? They cannot answer that question, which is kind of unusual. They realize they have a lot of leverage because we have a slim majority. They're exercising that leverage, but they don't to this day know to what end. Congressman, how do as one of the the 201 people supporting Kevin McCarthy, how do you and the other 200 people on your side feel about 
essentially being kind of held hostage by this this small group of people who refuses to do what has historically always been done. Once the caucus decides who the candidate is, you come out, you show unanimity. Well, there's some people who are very mad at him, and, you know, the anger is going to go on, I'm sure, for years. I'm not quite as mad as the others because I am conservative. I socialize with some of these people, uh, you know, I've, uh, but obviously they're slowing down the train. Um, we thought we'd be off and next week holding hearings on Hunter Biden, holding hearings on the border. Obviously, all of this stuff has got to be delayed, which is frustrating. I'm sure on a personal level, it's got to be very frustrating for Kevin McCarthy. You know, he's been working 80-hour weeks for four years, building to this day, and now he's getting not, not getting the speakership, which he thinks he's, which he is, which he has earned. Uh, but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, the same thing has happened on a state level a couple times. And I always kind of compare it to a state level where, where people did the work and didn't get the reward. Uh, but right now, Kevin plans on continuing to taking votes. Uh, there is a danger that some people will feel that to start, we'll have to get Democrat votes to get to 218. I think that would be a big mistake. But there are more moderate I'll even say big government Republicans who wouldn't have a problem having Democrats in key positions and kind of have a uh, like a shared government, a shared government. Exactly. There were rumors yesterday that one of the committees that I'm on, that they may appoint a Democrat to be the chairman of that committee as part of a shared government. And, uh, you know, Obviously, it'd be very disappointing. A lot of things we want to get done wouldn't get done. I wish these 20 folks, and I, I talk to them, it's like I know them, I wish they'd sit down and say, this is what we want. But they really have not, in their own mind, made things up. I ran into one of them last night walking around the Capitol, and he was thrilled about something they might ask for. Well, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> You know, we've already gone through three ballots. We've known this day would come for months. Now you're trying to persuade your colleagues in the 20 of something to ask for. Congressman, uh, let me just say, big picture, what what does this say moving forward? At some point in time, there is going to be a Speaker of the House. But what what does this say about the next two years? And I know you went to Congress to get stuff done. Is is this going to happen? Is is this going to be what's going to happen every time an issue comes up? Well, that's the concern, because there's a situation now in which at any time five people can hold up the train. Five people can be on Fox News saying, you know, this is why I I can't get things done. And uh, comparing it to Madison, whereas I didn't feel it when I was there, but now I'd say it's a well-oiled machine. There people realized the Republican Party had to come together and get stuff done. And maybe they argue behind closed doors for a day or an hour, and then they'd come out and decide what the position was here. Here you have 20 people who do not have that sense at all, you know, and that's, that's a problem. Uh, um, but I, I, I still feel um, that if they sit down, it might take them a week. If they sit down and say, we want A, B, and C, that that's going to get done. Now, the concern is you do have some more big government Republicans 
who are going to say, we don't want to go down on that path. We're perfectly happy working with, with a shared governance. And I think when people vote for me up here, they're, vote, they're voting Republican and they expect to, to be contributing to a Republican majority. You know, people didn't vote for Brian Stile or Scott Fitzgerald uh, to wind up with, right. you know, these $1.7 billion bills. Well, con- some people would be perfectly happy with that. Congressman, just one final question. Then I'm I, I'm watching. The, I've got CNN on, and they're the, they're they're getting ready to do what I guess would be the sixth vote, and Kevin McCarthy's being nominated again. There, there's nothing going on. I mean, there's nothing to suggest that what what's happened on the first five votes is going to be anything different. At least right now, right? It's going to be probably the same thing we've seen on the first five votes, at least at this point in time. Right, and and I'll tell you, so far things have gone the wrong direction. Because they started out at 19, then they went to 20, and today one gal decided to vote present. So right now it's not time is getting them closer together. Time is dragging them apart. I was sitting next to here, who was one of the 20. Uh, if what he tells me is true, they are digging in. Okay, they are becoming more personally angry at Kevin. And he is going to find it harder to get them to vote for him today than he would have 48 hours which is kind of a bad sign for this. Uh, but like I said, I I know some of these guys and gals, and I'm just going to encourage them. You guys got to get together and say, here are four or five things we want so we know what to negotiate off of. Because right now when the press corners these people, they do not have a a position that would cause them to vote for Kevin or somebody else for that matter. Mm-hmm. If there was somebody else, Look, one final Congress a question, Congressman, because I know they're going to call the vote soon. What? Wh- how long does this go on today? So let's assume you have another vote that the numbers are are pretty much the, the same. I mean, how, how many more ballots do we have today? What? What? What is the? If we don't know the end game, what's the next step? Well, I, I would assume that Kevin would call it off after one more. Uh, he would see the writing on the wall, and. I guess what I do of him is I give these 20 people a little time to breathe, meet with each other. So you decide if you do have a position and then work off of that. Because like I said, right now, they don't really have a position. It's not when they say, you know, can we set up a new committee or um, right. can we promise you a vote on this or that or or that sort of thing. They They will not even be able to tell you why specifically they are voting against Kevin. So, and that's hard to believe, but that's just true. Congressman Grothman, uh, good luck. Thanks for joining us from the floor, from the cloakroom, and uh, good good luck. I guess this is going to end someday. We just don't know quite when that day is going to come. Right. Exactly, Jeff. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Congressman Glenn Grothman, who's right in the middle of this circus, and that's the best way I can describe this. And there doesn't appear it again to be an, an end game right now. You're going to have three ballots yesterday, three ballots today. And the, the group opposing Kevin McCarthy is is intractable. And um, 
It's just it's a flat out mess. And it quite candidly makes the Republican Party look bad. There's just no other way around it. And for everybody out there who's saying, "Okay, well, this is just you've got a handful of patriots who are stalling this um, and and they refuse to rock it, walk in lockstep with a lot of rhinos. I was glad to talk to Congressman Glenn Grothman, because like I say, he's a big supporter of Kevin McCarthy, even though he's had issues with him. And and you can say many things about Glenn Grothman, but you can't call him a rhino. Again, special thanks to Congressman Glenn Grothman for joining us. Uh, it's just it, it's just mind-boggling to me what is going on. And again, it's just to understand the significance of this and how bad it makes Republicans look in general. The there's only been two times since the Civil War. Once was during the Civil War and once was in 1923 where the party in power could not nominate their speaker on the first ballot. And it's just and this is I mean, I don't know what this means for moving forward, but it it's now in a situation where you have a handful of people who apparently decided they're going to hold the government hostage because they want everything. As I was saying, we talked about this in the one o'clock and the 12 o'clock hour of the program. I just never understood saying, all right, here, here's the deal. You can get 80 percent or 90 percent of what you want. And, and you know, 10 percent isn't what you want, or, but, but you get 80 percent or 90 percent. Of what you want. I've never understood people who said, okay, I'm not going to vote for, for that because I, I don't get everything I want. Well, that's just the recipe for, again, complete and total gridlock. I mean, if I was, if I was in Congress, I, I'd want to go there because I want to do things and I, I want to advance my agenda. And maybe, maybe you can't get it all at once, but you get 70 or 80 percent of it. And then you say, OK, I'm going to come back and I'm going to fight for that other 30 percent somewhere down the line. But I'm, I'm going to take my victories. And you have some people who've just decided I, I don't even think they know what they want. And it makes the Republicans look bad in general. And if Republicans are looking to sort of set down the roadmap for why they should retake the White House in 2024, um, why they should retake the Senate. And the Democrats have a lot more seats in play than the Republicans do in the Senate in 2024. This isn't a very good way to start this. All right, let, let's go back. I, I, I introduced this topic before Congressman Grothman called in. It, it's go woke, go broke. 2022 was a year of a bunch of high-priced flops, at the at the box office, you had Disney that dropped one hundred and eighty million dollars on this animated movie called Strange World that was the had the first openly LGBT character. But beyond that, and I did not see this, but a couple of good friends of mine took a whole bunch of their kids and extended grandkids and stuff to see the movies. They came back. They were just shaking their head going, we've never seen anything like this. It was just like one woke concept after a, a, another you know, one politically correct thing after another. They just came back and said, I can't believe that this was this was a Disney flick. There was the movie Lightyear, which was the next one in the Toy Story, uh, story Toy Story franchise, only did $51 million, which compared to what the other Toy Stories did is just it's a staggering flop, even at $51 million. And and this was another one where they got all this attention for having the same for having a same sex kiss. The the big um one of the rom-coms they made was this movie called Bros, which was, you know, two openly gay characters, and it featured them. And it just was a complete and total stinker at the box office 
$14.8 million worldwide. New York Times says, oh, it's homophobia. That's the reason the gay romantic comedy was unsuccessful. Well, okay, the list goes on and on and on. I, I don't I don't think, candidly, it, it's homophobia. I think it's something a lot larger than that, namely, at least in my opinion, the fact that when people go to movies as a general rule or turn on TV shows, they, they want to be entertained. They don't want to have political agendas shoved down their throat. When you go to a Disney movie, you want a family-friendly Disney film, right? That, that's what this is all about. And you don't necessarily expect to be lectured to by the characters or have people with particular agendas. And there's nothing wrong with that agenda. It's just not what people want to see when you take your kids or your grandkids to the movie. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, I think these people who make these movies aren't concerned about making money as they are about getting out the message. Well, I, I think, you know, maybe maybe there there is an element of that, but at these Hollywood studios and the like, you know, isn't it's at some point in time it's about making money you know you you can't you can't drop 180 million dollars on on making a, a movie that that only that only brings back 24 million at some point in time don't the shareholders and the investors and the people that are running the studio or going to the people who greenlight these projects don't they have to go back and say um excuse me at the end of the day like it or not we're in the business of making money and if we are producing material that is is not commercially successful because the general population doesn't want to see it. And I'm not saying that there's n- not room for gay characters, for example, or political agendas or things like that. But but when it comes to a lot of this mainstream entertainment, it really it is to me. It's kind of like, you know, go woke, go broke. And you're starting to see that. Jeff, anyone making content needs to focus on storytelling first. But if they have an agenda to promote, they're welcome to make a movie about that topic instead of injecting it into an unexpected area. Um, yeah, that's there, there's no question uh, about that. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. One of our texters say, well, the problem is people like you who don't go to see the movie. Well, no, the, the problem is people in general don't go to see the movie because, again, they don't want to go to a, a Disney movie expecting, like, family-friendly stuff and, you know, end up doing this. Um, and, of course, that's, that's, what the theater, that's what the people who produce these movies need to deal with. Now, if, if you want to do the smaller films, that, that's okay. But this idea that, gee, we tried to do this stuff, it's not working, so it's the fault of the audience. No, nah, I don't think so. Jeff, the woke groups want us to believe the numbers are much higher and everybody wants and needs to be sensitive. The reality is different. Um, That's it, Jeff. People don't want agendas forced down their throat because the majority of Americans don't believe in a lot of those woke agendas. I think there's something to that. Jeff. 
We just watched the Disney movie Strange World last week with our four-year-old. It literally was one agenda after another being forced down our throats. I would never watch it again. Now, on the flip side, I don't mind if things are relevant in a story or written to be naturally viewed. Example, I have, uh, I have was the Disney movie Onward. Didn't see it. There was a couple or there were a couple of females who were in a relationship. It was subtle. It represented what we see in society today, but it was not forced or used in its agenda. This is how Disney movies need to be if they want to have any success at the box office. Jeff, you're not wrong at all. I think what's happening is that people are trying to bring too much awareness to various woke issues, and now they're starting to put that influence into movies. People want to watch a movie for entertainment, not a political speech. Jeff, we're already bombarded with wokeness in our day-to-day activities. You go to movies and entertainment to escape, not to be preached to. Well, I, I there's... Yes and no. I mean, I, I think there, there's always going to be movies that are going to preach to people. There's going to always be movies that, that advance an agenda. But th- you have to realize that there's a lot of people who just aren't going to want to buy into that a- agenda and, and aren't going to be entertained by it and are going to vote with their wallets and, and are going to stay home. And the question becomes, are there enough other people out there who are going to be attracted to this to make it, it profitable. I mean, and that's that's really what the issue is. I didn't see the movie Bros. One of our texters says they saw it and they said it's it's not it's not the fact that um that it, it bombed not because of the subject matter, but because it was just a a lousy a, a lousy movie, <laughs> which is you know um uh, I think that there's a, an element of that. Let's talk to John in Kenosha. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hi, John. I uh, I, I, I got to be honest with you. It's 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 kind of ironic because I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. I said, "Hey, you want to see the Strange Land movie or whatever?" And she says, "Hey," she said, "I had just seen some stuff all over the internet. There's a, a big thing with the gays." And this is the thing. I, I if you're if you're, you can't do something like that in a children's movie because it's not up to Disney or anybody else to dictate when it's time for me to have that conversation with my child. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it's different if it's a movie for an adult, or you want you want to have some agenda in that. But if some like like no, uh, I, I get it. no, John. No, thanks. No, no, I, no, thanks. So I get I get it. I don't want. I mean, I, I I appreciate that perspective, and I think that I mean that's what my friends who you know, took their grandkids to see Strange World. They came back and they were just shaking their head and they said it was like one political agenda after another after another. And and look, it's again, you're you're exactly right. If if you're if you're grown ups and you want to, you know, go see these types of movies and things like that, well, more 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 power to you. And there's always going to be a, a role for that. But at the same time, you, you've got to recognize that if you're I don't know. It, if you're making a movie that has a, a particular point of view and a really harsh agenda or or an agenda that is going to alienate some of the potential viewers, you can't be surprised on the flip side when people end up, you know, staying home. Jeff, the reason why I stopped watching award shows is that I don't need Hollywood actors preaching to me and telling me how I should think and feel. It's the same with these woke movies. Americans will always end up voting with their their pocketbooks. Um, yeah, Jeff, they got rid of our movies to include the largest audience, possibly with PG 13s over the last decade or two. Now, a lot of movies are appealing to some of the smallest groups possible. A lot of people have seen what the new Disney movies are all about. 
the next ones will have even less people go to the movies the next time around. I mean, I guess, you know, the the, the idea is that you, you really do, and I think that that's kind of a surprise. Now this is one of the kind of lessons that's out there that, you know, when you go to these Disney movies nowadays, you expect, okay, is this going to be family-friendly or whatever? And what you see is the subtle and not-so-subtle messages that get stuck in there um, it, trying to advance political causes. And I'm not saying you shouldn't make the movies. That That's not the issue. But I think the recognition needs to be if you as a filmmaker are making these sort of movies, you, you got to recognize that there's there's going to be some consequences, and maybe some of those consequences are people aren't going to go to see it. Now, at the same time, you know, you, you can make a, a movie with an agenda that's really, really good, and people are going to watch it. Case in point, when I was off over the, the, the Christmas New Year week, I, I ended up getting sucked back in. They were showing reruns of the TV ser- series West Wing, okay? And that especially the first four years. I think it went downhill after the first four years. But I ended up, I spent a couple of days while I was doing other stuff. I had the West Wing. They had a marathon on where they were showing all the episodes back to back. And I, now the West Wing, if you will remember, or if you have seen it, the West Wing is the ultimate liberal fantasy when it comes to, you know, government. I mean, it's just, it's present, everything is presented from the, the liberal perspective. This was, it started in the Clinton administration and then carried over to the Bush administration. But again, it's, it's a liberal fantasy. That's what this is. But it, it was incredibly well done. So even though there was clearly, we wouldn't call it woke at the time, but there was clearly like this liberal agenda that was there. I, 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 I watched it. I liked it. I think it was well acted. I think it was compelling. And it was a testament to how good I think the writing and everything was on the show The West Wing that somebody like me, a Reagan conservative, would sit there and say, well, okay, I know what the agenda they're trying to advance or this or that or the other thing, and I don't think they fairly you know, pictured this conservative or that conservative. But at least I was able to look at this and say, this is still – it is pretty well done. I find it entertaining even though I don't agree with the, the agenda that they are trying to push. So that's an example of you know something that's well-written and entertaining – People, you know, can get past what the agenda is. But if it's not particularly entertaining and it's just overcome with this agenda, just don't be surprised if people vote with their um, pocketbooks as well. One of our texters said, Jeff, I got wrapped up in the West Wing, too. It was great writing and acting. Martin Sheen for president. Well, I don't want to say Martin Sheen for president. But again, it's it's one where. The, the quality of the writing and the stories and stuff transcends the agenda. So, again, somebody like me who's not going to agree with a lot of the causes and issues that they're taking and feel that a lot of the issues were presented in sort of an unfair way to the other side, nevertheless, it, it's still well done, watched it, was entertained by it. So you can do it. You can be woke if you're going to be entertaining. But if you're going to be woke, you have to, number one, deal with what people's expectations are. And I don't think they necessarily go to the Disney movies that are targeted at kids expecting that it's going to be an hour and 45 minutes of of wokeness thrown down your throat. Just saying.